Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be. I'm your host, Naluka Kotagata, and it is my privilege to join your life journey as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Courage in Action. Today, we're going down a bit of a different path as we examine how our emotional and mental health manifests itself physically. I'm honored to be joined by Adrienne White. She's a big picture thinker, professional speaker, educator, and work and wellness coach. Above all of that, she's a truly authentic and compassionate person who dedicates her time to helping others. As a self-proclaimed quintessential cautionary tale, Adrienne is going to share her journey from what she called her happy heart attack, which resulted in open heart surgery, to overcoming challenges and navigating some very personal change. As a survivor, she's found the courage to dive deep into the issues of heart health, particularly for women. So without further ado, let's get into some heart talk. Welcome, Adrienne. Thank you so much. I love that. I love <laughs> getting to some hard talk. Absolutely. Let's do it. Um, so normally we ask our guests to start by telling us a little bit about their journey, but yours has so many intricacies and a lot of um, different components. So I was wondering if you could maybe start with telling us how you got to focusing on heart and how you found the courage to sort of get out there and talk about it openly. Sure. Well, okay. Let's start with a period in my life where I was under a fair bit of stress, to be honest, but, um, you know, we all have been so big whoop and a friend of mine came into town and brought me out for lunch. So that was absolutely divine. We hardly see each other face to face. We're having a really good chat. This was pre COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I took a sip of water and I instantly felt sick to my stomach. Oh. And I thought, well, that's weird. How, how can you get the flu in a nanosecond? Wow. <laughs> I know. So, but anyway, she suggested we have a cup of tea and I'm half British. So <laughs> I knew. Very comforting. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that tea would fix everything. And it did until yeah. it didn't. And then. I was feeling a bit sick again and I had a weird kind of uh, sort of a pressure in my neck, almost like there was a little worm in there that there wasn't room for, which is, you know, kind of a weird thing to say. My arms were really tired. Have you in a a light bulb over your head? You know, you're screwing in a light bulb. Oh yeah. And then your arms like physically get tired or you're trying to blow dry your hair or that happens. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as nice as yours, but yes. (laughs) So that kind of absolute ache, well, needless to say in a Mm. restaurant, I was not doing anything, not even cutting steak that would, that would (laughs) get my arms tired. So I, uh, it was just strange to be perfectly honest. And then I was tired, um, just tired. Hmm. So my friend said, are you okay? Cause she realized I wasn't my responsive self. And yeah. I said, you know what? I, I told her some of the symptoms and I said, I've got a little bit of kind of pressure sort of on my chest. And I don't know. I said, I just don't feel right. Yeah. Well, 
in that second, I was transported back. Alarm bells were going off in my head. And I remembered my mom, when she was 50, had a heart attack. Oh, my God. In that instant. Yeah. And it was a total non-event. She was sitting at the dining room table. She didn't feel well. Anyway, she told me later that she just didn't feel right. It was her husband that took her to the hospital. She wasn't going to go. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I thought, you know, there is a little community hospital near me. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to pop in there. So my friend ended up giving me a ride. And I learned later that she thought I had indigestion. And she's older and wiser than me. Right. <laughs> but um, the restaurant manager took her aside, a woman, and she said, I think your friend is having a heart attack. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know if that, she didn't like to drive because I'd picked her up. And so she drove me to the little hospital because by the time we got to the car, I was just too weak to do it. Yeah. And uh, so that's, you know, eventually it was no big screaming deal. We had a little intake session and eventually they took me in and they hooked me up to all the, you know, ECG stuff, wires everywhere. And, and I'd squirm when I didn't feel well, because who likes to not feel well? Of course. And the nurse frequently, frequently said, are you in pain? And I said, no, no pain. I just feel gross. Yeah, you're just uncomfortable. And, yeah. And yeah. squirmy, wormy. And mm. anyway, I said, it'll pass. She said, what do you mean it'll pass? I said, I don't know what to tell you. It's been passing. It lasts for about four or five minutes and it goes anyway. So then it didn't, it didn't pass. Oh, yeah. And uh, after about 10 minutes of that, I said, okay, I'm not in pain, but I felt yucky for long enough that sure, let's call it pain. So she <sighs> brought me something for it. And then a doctor came up to me and he said, Miss White, it appears you're having a heart attack. And I said, no. I'm sorry. I've been squirming around so much. I just screwed up your wires. (laughs) He said, no, you're having a heart attack. And I said, oh, okay. And thus began the adventure. Wow. So that's really interesting because um, I guess the, the, thank goodness, the woman at the restaurant knew kind of what to look for and what the symptoms were because you imagine a heart attack like you see in the movies where you, oh, suddenly fall to the floor and your left arm is numb or something. But like, how, how do we know and how can you tell when you should go to the hospital, especially during COVID time when everyone's sort of avoiding and trying not to go when it's not a dire emergency? Exactly. How do you identify that? Well, so here's the thing. It is... Um, let, I want to quickly address what you said about the drama of the typical heart attack. Right. We know from film and television what a heart attack looks like. It's huge sure. drama with rising pain in the chest and yeah. sweating profusely. And as you said, pain down the arm. Mm-hmm. Except that, and while that does, it absolutely does happen for women and men, but that's not what happens the most. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we get this eclectic cocktail of, 
of symptoms that um, that you try and explain away. At least I did, and I've talked to other a lot of other people about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a volunteer for the Pacific Open Heart Association, and we go Amazing. in. Yeah, we go into the cardiac ward and talk to people who are about to have open heart surgery or just after. We talk to their families. So I've had a lot of input in this particular yes. category, but we, we tend to explain things away. So me took a sip of water. Hmm, can you get the flu in a nanosecond? <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, my arms were weak and tired. Well, I wasn't doing anything. So that was weird. It's complicated a little bit because I have fibromyalgia. So I'm fairly used to not feeling awesome. Okay. But I really couldn't explain these away. And that funny, weird pressure on my neck and a little bit of pressure on my chest for no reason. Mm-hmm. I don't usually get heartburn, but I thought, well, geez, maybe I've developed a gluten and dairy intolerance. Like, In that nanosecond also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we're, we're pretty good at rationalizing stuff, right? The yeah. other, some people get a little bit of ache okay. in their jaw. I mean, some people get pain, but other people just get a bit of an ache in their jaw or a backache. Oh, and, yeah, I know. So, so the first question I would say is, do you have a family history? Mm. Now I had an absolutely no heart problems my whole life, nothing, not a problem. Okay. And I am not a believer in that our historical biology dictates our life. I do not believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, turns out my mom has had four heart attacks and some stents. My dad has had a major heart attack and triple bypass surgery. My dad's dad died of a heart attack. My mom's mom died of a heart attack. And oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, (sighs) so as it turns out, Um, what would have been better for me once I hit 45, what would have been better is every year to go to my doctor. Cause let's face it. Doctors are really busy people, right? Yes. Very much so. Yeah. And they see so many patients. They are not going to remember your family history every Mm -hmm. time you sit down. So Mm -hmm. I would say if you do have a family history, it's worthwhile just saying, Hey, you know what? Let's have one heart talk a year. And, oh, that's uh, a great tip. Okay. And then, so you sit down with your doctor and you remind them about your family history and just decide if it's worth getting any testing done. Now I say that because it's wise, I, but, but there's a part two before um, there. So just to give people an indication. So my C-reactive protein, which shows inflammation in your system, that okay. was elevated. My blood pressure was elevated. My, uh, mm, what do you call it? LDL was elevated, right? Cholesterol. So, but none to the point that I required medication. Oh, still in the normal range, as they always say. Exactly. You've heard that before. Yeah, I have. I'm like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah. But for me, those were sort of the magic three, the magic three plus the family history. So, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I would ask my doctor, hey, let's measure those things and just sort of keep track. Okay. So anyway, that's one reason I mentioned that. 
-hmm. And I've managed to derail myself, but let's see if I can remember what the second reason was. Oh yeah, the testing. Okay. Well, here's the thing. In my, I didn't tell you that awful statistic yet, did I? Nope. Okay. Well, upon recovery from quadruple bypass open heart surgery, I learned. Quadruple bypass. I know. Wow. Go home, eh? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. I went from no scars to three feet of incisions. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so I learned that early heart attack signs are missed in 78% of Canadian women. 78%. Mm -hmm. Wow. Can you imagine if we missed 78% of anything? Mm -hmm. That would be unacceptable in every scenario. Absolutely. Never measured. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I thought to myself, this is, this is insane and yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So I have to try and change it. So I, being, you know, a bit of a three-year-old on occasion, I embraced my inner <laughs> why. Yeah. And I thought, why would this be? And that's when I learned that two-thirds in the world, two-thirds of cardiac research is done on, drum men. roll, please, men, you got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not some grand conspiracy. It's just the history, right? It's sure. Hard. Yep. Something and that needs to change. Is exactly. Good. And I yep. think it is. Um, but it's also something to be aware of because a lot of women, especially women over 60, mm-hmm. um, depending on their family identity, their religious identity, the community identity, uh, a lot of women don't want to be a bother. Mm, yeah they don't want to make a fuss they don't want to be hysterical yeah god forbid so you know they they don't say a lot well back in the day they sort of the doctors and medical researchers figured women except for the bleeding and the children thing (laughs) were just small men Mm. so some of, according to what I've read, some of the tests that we use, like the stress test on a, on a treadmill, it's more effective for men than women. Oh, okay. Right. So why do I say this? No fear. I'm not a believer in fear. It's useless. <sighs> but information is powerful. And so now when you're at the doctor's office and your doctor might say, oh, I, you know, I think you're fine or you just have some indigestion, you can say, all right, and remember that they're a human person, yes. with a huge docket of patients, and they come from a medical, um, from a medical school that only has access to, to the data of- that they have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, you really owe it to yourself to be sure. Um, I'm every time I see a woman when I'm doing the the rounds at the hospital visiting with people, I always congratulate them on beating the odds because it's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, and I said, you know, a lot of women are not so fortunate. They get misdiagnosed and they often die. Mm. Um, and this young woman, she was oh I don't know probably in her early forties. Yeah. And she was clearly a really, 
strong and fun woman. Anyway, she said, oh, I know. I said, you do? She said, oh, yes, I do. It happened to me. I said, well, tell me about it. So it turns out she went to her doctor and uh, her doctor said, well, you know, you are overweight. Uh So you're probably uh, experiencing something around that. You, You should consider eating better and doing more exercise. And, and if it keeps up, you know, come back in. Well, that didn't feel right. So she went to another doctor. Right. He thought she had indigestion because she's a heavy girl, you know, and when you're that heavy, well, that's just not good for your body. So it must be indigestion. Well, she was not a happy bunny with all of this. And she went to a third doctor Good for her. I know. And she said to the woman, listen, I am not leaving until you tell me what is going on. I am either having a heart attack, organ failure, or gallstones. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. She had done her own research and she, yeah. Yep. So turns out she had um, a condition called SCAD, um, which happens more for women than men, as I understand. And her aorta was splitting. That's, you know, the, yeah, the big old vessel that takes stuff to the heart, oxygen. Yeah, it was splitting. So this amazing woman not taken a stand, not been her own advocate, Uh not risked looking like a nuisance. She wouldn't be alive. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And it's, go ahead. It takes a lot of courage to do that too. We always, obviously it's courage in action. We talk about courage all the time and to be your own advocate and to release that um, sort of impression or societal pressure of what women are supposed to be and how we're supposed to behave. Uh, I think that's a great story and a great example of how you just have to power through for yourself sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And the reason I mentioned the the research part uh, is be is just to give women license, you know, just mm. to give you license. There's a reason that you should push back if you feel that something is wrong. Right. And, and the other thing is, and I love movie and film and TV, <laughs> and I do, but they have taught us what a heart attack looks like. And it's not true for most women. And, and it's not true. A lot of men too, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... so- there's a lot of research I'm sure that you can do yourself to kind of learn about symptoms and things like that. What about the piece about um, like our self-care to prevent getting to that point? Um, and where I want to kind of talk to you about is, you know, that emotional and mental health. And you mentioned that you were under a lot of stress when you had your heart attack really manifests in our body. Um, Can you talk us through a little bit about things that we could potentially do um, to help us? Sure. Now I have to add a huge disclaimer. Yes. I am what the Heart and Stroke Foundation refers to as uh, PWLPE, a person with lived experience. I'm not a medical professional. Absolutely. And I am not a nutritional expert Mm because I believe everybody is different yeah and i'm not an exercise guru not even close (laughs) so 
so what I bring to this particular arm of the conversation is what I've noticed in women generally and certainly in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so this multitasking thing, I was the multitasking queen. Okay. Like, people called me that years after they worked with me. I had no idea. I found out later, yeah. the funniest thing. I love to multitask and I figured if my brain will do this, then I am giving it exercise, I thought. I learned oh. later mm-hmm, that that kind of, I'll call it pressure on the brain, the, the, that use of the brain actually can shrink part of your brain. Oh, wow. Yeah, less than ideal. Mm. And, uh, and really elevate uh, cortisol in your body. And that helps to increase your C-reactive protein. And C-reactive protein is that indicator of inflammation. Now, doctors agree. Some say 70%, some say 90%. So they may not agree on the percentage, but they seem to all agree that the majority of disease is caused by inflammation. And so much inflammation is caused by ongoing shots of cortisol in the body. So how do we get cortisol? Well, it's a totally natural, really good thing. The whole fight or flight, I'm sure you're aware of the fight or flight syndrome, right? We get, we get scared about something and here's the way it was intended to work. Something scares us. We decide, well, say it's a saber tooth tiger. We decide to fight it or run. Yes. So our body gets ready to help us survive because that's the brain's job is to keep us alive. Yeah. So what it does is it dials down um, all the digestive stuff so that if we get swiped in the belly with claws, we won't bleed out. Okay. Also, it diverts energy to where we need it the most, the big muscle groups in the arms and the legs, right? And it also narrows our field of vision because the last thing we need when a saber-toothed tiger is upon us is, you know, to notice the small things. Oh, look at that lovely hummingbird. Look at that flower. (laughs) You need to be ultra-focused. Exactly. And ultra-focused, really, really great phrase. I love that. (sighs) And here's the other kicker. The other thing it does is dial down the resources to the part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that is responsible for the executive functioning, like decision-making and thinking and the stuff that we usually really value our brain for at work, right? Yes, yeah. So we get this uh, experience and we either fight something or we run like the Dickens. And if we're still alive after the cortisol level comes down, all is Mm -hmm. well in the world and we carry on. Well, for all the brilliance of our brain, it doesn't know the difference between reality and imagination. It doesn't know the difference between a saber toothed tiger and a demanding boss. Right. It doesn't know the difference between a saber-toothed tiger and alarm bells going off on your phone and your computer um, (laughs) and, you know, all at the same time and some blah, blah, blah. So the stress levels that we have today 
our brain hasn't really adjusted to. As a result, we're pumping out a lot of cortisol. And one thing that women tend generally not to do as well as men is exercise. Mm -hmm. Historically, this is true. On any of my business trips, when I'd <laughs> admittedly walk by, very seldom go in, walk by the gym. Um, the guys are in there you know, <laughs> running away on the treadmill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They are. And I absolutely commend their probably unknowing understanding that that is how you get rid of cortisol. Actually not running, but a Exercising. good exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Moving your body. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and I'm still, uh, mm, I'm still more interested in doing whatever I'm doing at any given time than getting up and going for a walk. Yeah. But, but that said, I understand the, uh, the chemical reasoning to get up and go for a walk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that inflammation. So we're talking mental health because so, or, or, Mental health, yes, not mental illness. We're talking mental health. Oh, yeah. And that is taking time for yourself, really tuning in and being mindful, tuning into what your body needs at any given moment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's something that we're not taught to do. Here's another aspect of that. How many of us have grown up with the absolute understanding that we are the best friend we will ever have. <laughs> Very few of us exactly. know that from day one. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing, here's, um, here's a piece actually from the talk that I've put together, um, mm. which I'll tell you more about in a sec, but great responsibility. We are very responsible beings, women. We are, as growing up, as, as children, we are taught that we are responsible for the happiness of our parents. We're huh. responsible for the happiness of our teachers. We're responsible for the harmonious relationships, right? All of those things. Yes. Yes. And that teaches us that the responsibility of being happy is outside us. Mm. Yes. Yes. So it can take us a lifetime <laughs> sometimes to realize that nobody is responsible for our happiness or our well-being except us. Us. Yeah. And don't we put that in a lot of people? And don't we hate it when other people do it to us and we don't like them? <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, it's an, it's a really interesting dynamic. So there are lots of reasons why that statistic is so high that early heart attack signs are missed in seventy eight percent. So, mm, yeah. But from like from what you've said, it all comes down to um, almost going going internal when things are happening. When you feel something not right in your body, like trust your instinct over anything else. And, and yes, we are our best friends and sometimes we can be our worst enemies also, depending on how we manage our thoughts and our self-talk, right? Oh God, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, <laughs> it makes me, the whole self-talk thing is fascinating to me. My mm -hmm. self-talk 
was horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was not a pretty place to be. Mm. And one day I was in a program and I was on the phone with women from around the world and one woman in Belgium, you know how sometimes stuff just will hit you and land with you? Yes. Well, she said, it suddenly occurred to me that I would never talk to a child, never talk to a child the way I talk to myself. Sometimes it's like you would never talk to any other human the way you talk to yourself sometimes, yeah. for me anyway. But. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, And so many of us, you know, uh, I think all of us have an inner, inner child who yes. didn't get all of their needs met. Of course not. Of course, life is not perfect by <laughs> any stretch. So, so it's, it's that child within us that often needs the nurturing and the listening to what do you need? What are you right. feeling? And it's interesting, the, the whole, what are you feeling? Mm. Um, I've struggled with, and I couldn't figure out why I struggle with this. And uh, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in the 90s. Okay. And so most of the time, if you say, how do you feel? I equate that to how does your body feel? And usually it's not great. So let's ignore it, shall we? Let's focus on better things. Oh. And so I equated the sensation that comes with intuition. And I equated the emotion that's often spoken of, of feelings. And I sort of lumped them all together and didn't really take time to feel anymore. Interesting. Yeah, weird. So the only feeling was the, the physical manifestation of what was actually going on inside. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to talk about that all day and nobody wants to foot. Well, some people do, I guess, but I sure don't. Yeah. yeah. So as a result, I unknowingly lost touch with my emotional feelings. Okay. And um, also, I'm just going to throw this in here working in corporate America, in corporate Canada, um, big companies, command and control kind of, yeah. mindset, you know, yeah. um, I was really good at what I did and oh my word, I worked long hours yes. and <laughs> people would say, you know, yeah, no, you need maybe a little more work-life balance. And I said, well, yeah, I'd agree, but so many of my friends are at work. So really I get the work-life balance at work. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, just so you know. No, you're like, my work is fun, <laughs> is it? <laughs> so I had um, an enormous burnout, like extreme burnout, lost uh, cognitive capacity and came across the country. I have no recollection of it. I was, yeah, it was a problem. That was before the heart attack or that was? Yeah, quite a, quite a while before. Okay. But I mention it because um, burnout also comes with signs that we um, just brush off, brush aside, hmm. not a big deal. And so I have a, a history of brushing it off, powering through, I come from a historical um, heritage of stoic women. Mm. Well, you know what? We don't need to be stoic anymore. Pack that <laughs> up in your <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I have found that the, the feelings around listening to yourself, yeah, listening to your intuitive self, listening to your instincts, um, and taking the time to nurture. I used to think that self-love meant bubble baths and dark chocolate. <laughs> they and can help. They can definitely time. help. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thoroughly um, enjoyable, but that's not all there is to it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, the mental health portion is important. And I love how prevalent mindfulness is in our society today. Now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that because just taking a break, just giving your brain a break. Mm-hmm. Oh my word. Feels That's so a- good. <laughs> and it allows your cortisol levels to come down. That's, you know, deep breathing. Because let's face it, if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, right. you're not likely to put, you know, sit in lotus position and say, <laughs> Kitty, kitty, I'm going to have some deep breaths. So, yeah. So, but as you were describing that, I thought the beauty of it is, is once your brain is triggered, the body is really a miraculous thing. Everything that happens after that is just automated. You don't need to think about it. And when you truly need it to be there, your body will be there. So we have to take care of it. Yes. And it helps to understand that like fight or flight process, for example, yeah. and the fact that it can be triggered. All this cascade yeah. of hormones yes. is triggered if we miss our bus. Right. Right? Yes. If we break a heel. Yes. Um, so, so what can you do? Can I share a couple of things just quickly? Of course. Yes, please. That'd be great. Well, we mentioned the ultra focus, you, your words. I love that. Oh, yes. <laughs> So we get tunnel vision. Okay. What you can do if you if you know, hey, I bet you my body's stressing out. You can start to very mindfully look for peripheral vision and see, oh. how, you know, to the side, how far sideways can you see your hand if you're looking forward? That's really good. That triggers your brain into saying, oh, hang on a minute. She can't do that when she's being chased. Right. She's okay. Yeah. The same hmm. thing about taking some cleansing, deep belly breaths. Okay. Same thing. You would never do that if you're <laughs> in space, right? Yes. So that, that triggers your brain into a calming response much sooner. Okay. So when we proactively take these, mm-hmm. um, we help to mindfully keep our cortisol levels lower. Okay which reduces inflammation, which is really good, no matter what we're talking about. Yeah, perfect. Those are two really simple things that we can do. And I think the important piece there is that you recognize when you're in that stress. Like you've got to take a pause and recognize, okay, I'm going into this state now. And then I love that just kind of, okay, what's around me? Let Mm -hmm. me just look at things and take in the environment. That's very it's a mindfulness practice. And I, I think that's great. Um, so those are, I think, amazing tips and and things that we can do like preventatively. Mm -hmm. I do want to swing to the other side. So you have, you know, you've had a heart attack, you're grappling with that. You have to have quadruple bypass surgery. And I, 
you know, something resonated with me when you said, you know, you ended up with these big scars and these things. And, and I find, um, you know, people, women who have been through illness or been through some sort of trauma, they feel like they are weak or damaged for some reason. And I think it's quite the opposite. You're incredibly strong, but there's a journey that has to happen there. So can, can you talk a little bit about that sort of after effect and navigating that, that personal change for you? Absolutely. I first have to just thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) Truly. That's not something I had considered. Um, It didn't occur to me that I would feel that way. Right. And then I thought, no, like I'm single, right? So it's, I don't, I don't want men. Right. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, um, and then I, and I'm self-employed and I do contract work. And I thought, Jiminy Cricket, I don't want people to think that I can't do this anymore. Right. So I honestly thought that was just me. (laughs) (laughs) And we do that a lot too. We do. We think it's, yeah. Yeah. So I was shocked to find out about three weeks ago, uh, a friend of mine, not, not a really close friend who I spend a lot of time with, but a woman I know, I found out that she'd had a heart attack two weeks earlier. Wow. And uh, because of of my history, I reached out to her um, just to be there, you know, as someone who's been there, done that. And so we talked about just that. She didn't want anyone to know. So I've learned that there is a lot of shame around this. Mm-hmm. So women often don't tell their people that they've had a heart attack. Right. Because there's shame associated with it. And, you know, it's interesting because when you look at sort of the the history of heart attacks, right? So modern-ish literature, say 200 years. Well, sort of the expectation, do you know who deserved to have a heart attack? Busy men who were working hard to support their families. Oh, even those poor guys don't deserve it. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But I think what it, yeah. Uh, what I, <laughs> when I meant when I said deserved is that if you're not working your guts out and you're not a man and you're not supporting your family and you don't have all of the undue pressures of men. I see, yeah. What's the problem with you that you have a heart attack? What is wrong with you? It's almost like you have no right. Yeah. Uh, now, would anybody articulate that? No. no. But is, is that in our history? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yeah, is. Absolutely. Yeah. And women are just expected to take on every, like everything. And we, mm-hmm. and we will do it. And we, we don't necessarily sort of send the flag up when you need a break. Ah, uh, Yes. Send the flag up when you need a break. Why don't we do that? Um, it's our, again, it's our, our expectations of ourselves, I think, and yeah. everything that we've been taught since we were And we little. don't want to be weak. We've been called the weaker no. sex. Yes, we're called the weaker sex all the time. <laughs> and, and I know I'm not the only rebel in the group. <laughs> yeah, I'll show sure. you weaker. For sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've got this really... Uh, interesting potpourri of historical ick yeah (laughs) i love it interesting potpourri of historical ick yes (laughs) it kind of gets in our way and 
you know, and, and we don't, I mean, who wants to be known as a bother? Who wants to be known as a hypochondriac? Nobody yeah. I know. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, but don't we have this badge of honor associated with powering through? Mm, yes. You're a superwoman. You can take on anything. You can do anything. Yes. Yes. And, and don't we precipitate that when we're telling women, you can do it all. You can yeah. do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, yes. And what you're walking around in is a human vessel. Yes. And so your spirit may be limitless, mm -hmm. but your physical body also needs care and nurturing. Right. And, and they have to match that spiritual, you know, ambition and, and all of these things have to match how you care for your physical being. Yeah, very much. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so um, part of recovery for you was you started talking about everything and, and you started volunteering, which I think is incredible and started helping other people. So had, how did that help you kind of along your journey to? Well, I don't know if it did. I'm sure it did. I just hadn't really given okay. it much thought, but I'll tell you why I started doing it. Mm. When I was in the hospital waiting for my surgery, it was the next morning. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, and, wow. You know, there, there were volunteers apparently who came around and talked to people, but nobody was there to talk to me oh. but across the room was a woman I call Angel Ann. Oh. And she had had her bypass surgery the day before, no, two, two and a half days before, nearly three okay. days. Yeah. And she, she was up and walking. Wow. And I know. I know. Right. Yeah, so, that's motivation right there. Yeah. Well, and it's also proof that they know what they're doing mm. that week with women, right? Oh, yeah. Proof. Yeah. I love that. Uh huh. So she magically, frankly, started talking to me and told me some of the things to expect and to not get freaked out about. Okay. And yeah, it was such she was such a gift. And it and so many elements, frankly, of this whole experience for me were such enormous gifts that when I was approached later after the surgery by somebody in the Pacific Open Heart Association, they said, do you want to be, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can be a volunteer one day and talk to people. It's like, well, you know what? I'm a speaker. I talk to people. Yeah. I'm an yeah. What I do, honey. <laughs> You're like, this is my jam right here. I'm in. <laughs> Absolutely. And they hardly have any women. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's mm. not because women don't have heart attacks. I think it's because early heart attack signs are missed in so many women that a lot of us don't survive. Oh, wow. And that's not necessary. I'm living, breathing no. proof. Here's yep. the sad truth. If I'd been home alone yep. and I'd been feeling wonky, I would have had probably a nap. Wouldn't. Yeah. I would have had a nap. And I had a 100% blockage. Wow. 80% blockage and 75% blockage. Like, it's just not good, right? I don't know if I would have woken up from that particular nap. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Anyway, when I, when I learned that statistic and after 
learning that I could become a volunteer and talk to patients and their families, I thought, oh yeah, this is That's incredible. Yeah. Do this. I just felt driven to do it. And then after talking to so many people and uh, women in particular and learning, oh my word. So huh, this, is, this is not a one of story, but this one particular woman, she was amazing. You could tell just by looking at her eyes, this woman held the love of the world in her. Oh. Mm, she was such a beautiful soul. She yeah. was there for everybody, her family, her community, and this amazing giving soul after recovering from heart attack, uh, open heart surgery, where her sternum was literally, though expertly, held together with wire. Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah. You cannot use your arms. Mm -mm. Um, had not arranged for anyone to help her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. She wanted to know when she could get back to her regular routine that involved <sighs> vacuuming. I said, oh my gosh. I said, are you kidding me right now? Oh said, no. My answer to that usually is, well, you know, have a conversation with your doctor, but I can tell you right now. Yeah. No on the vacuuming, honey. All right. <laughs> That's another thing we're really bad at as women is asking for help. Yes, absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. And that's like, the epitome of an example of that, like, you know, her trying to be strong, her trying to just get back to her independent life and not wanting to seem weak and ask for help. Yes. Yes. So the, the people that I've talked to men and women, yeah. and especially the women, um, I've noticed trends and patterns. And, and so I brought that all into a talk. It was funny. I was looking for a metaphor. Because as a speaker, you know, we try and be fresh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you've heard that expression, I'm sure. You should put your oxygen mask on first. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> Before you can help anyone else. Yeah, everybody uses that. Nobody masks. pays attention unless they're in an aircraft that's going down. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I need a new metaphor. Well, I hadn't planned on having a heart attack and open heart surgery to get it. But, <laughs> but here it is. Every morning at 7 a.m., I'm not a morning girl, 7 a.m., this huge guy, force of nature, would come in to coach us out of bed to weigh us. Oh, God. So when you cannot use your arms to get out of bed and you have three feet of incisions, getting out of bed is not easy. Getting out of bed to be weighed. God, to be weighed of all the things <laughs> in the world. I will not tell you God. what I wanted to tell oh you. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, this man was an absolute force of nature in the best possible way. He would lean over with these piercing blue eyes that just said, no. you can do it. You can do it. And oh. he'd start with, okay, Adrian, he'd say, hug thyself first. So put your arms, wrap your arms around you. The reason for this is to support the sternum, right? Because oh, yeah. your skin's held together with staples and you're held together with wire. Yeah. So you can't use your arms to get out of bed. So that's how it starts. Well, about four days later, the anesthesia fog <laughs> was starting to lift. And when he said, hug thyself first, a voice in my head literally said, Pay attention. This has deeper meaning. Yes. 
And then the heart talk started to sort of write itself in that moment because uh, I, think I, I thought, oh my word, this is about more than holding your sternum together. It's about holding yourself together. <laughs> yeah. Hug thyself first. I love that. Yes. I love so that. I can't take, that was a Dean-ism. Dean-ism. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was just amazing. And you know, I, I have to tell you too, looking at him, And seeing that absolute conviction in his eyes that one, he knew you could do it. And two, he could help you through it. Reminded me why I love coaching so much. Oh, you know, to be able to hold that for someone else. Yes. It it was a gift on many levels. So anyway, he was just amazing. And, and, you know, taught me how to get out of bed. Hey, taught you a lot more than that. I think first it's about being gentle and being kind to yourself and taking care of yourself first and that inner child that we all have Mm. who doesn't love a hug you know amen amen to that Mm um so i have one last question well second last question really um and it kind of goes back to you know how we were talking about you know what we're feeling so how do you feel now now you see, I go to my body. I feel fun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I feel uplifted that people care enough. Women care enough about other women to have me on a podcast like this. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love that, that, you know, when we have the information, we share the information. Yes. And so I feel truly blessed and uplifted. Oh, that's amazing. And any final messages or any key takeaways for our listeners today? Advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. And here's the big one. Unequivocally, because you exist and for no other reason, you have worth and you deserve to take care of yourself. Period. Absolutely love it. Couldn't ask for a better ending than that. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. I know I learned a lot and I'm sure so many of our listeners are going to benefit from this so much. So thank you. I loved it. Thanks so much. (laughs) 